Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What does Jesus's mission look like here? What's his mission here? What does Jesus's mission look like here? What does Jesus's mission look like here? What is Jesus's mission here? How do I know what Jesus's mission is? The book of Acts is really the continuation, if you're not familiar with it, of everything that Jesus began to do and teach. So maybe you've heard of the Gospels, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they tell the story of Jesus in those 30 to 35 years of his life here on earth. Well, Acts tells the next 30 or so years of his ministry continuing through his people, and it sets the stage for where we are today. But I thought just to catch us up again, let's just look again, get this in our heads, where we're at in the world when all this is happening. Uh, Right here on the map, you can see modern-day Turkey. And Paul and a guy named Silas set out from a little town called Antioch in Syria. See Syria maybe in the news today, right? And they they leave from Antioch and they make their way across uh, modern-day Turkey and eventually find themselves in the port city of Troas on the Aegean Sea. And it's there that Paul has a vision. He has a dream about a man from Macedonia across the sea saying, hey, come, bring the gospel to us. And so Paul, and he's also picked up two other guys he and Silas have now, a young guy named Timothy and a doctor named Luke, who ends up writing this text of Acts, this history, and and they set sail across the Aegean Sea, and they end up in the city of Philippi. Well, in Philippi, Paul gets beaten, stripped, thrown in jail, and chased out of town. Sounds like a fruitful ministry, doesn't it? But, uh, but Paul was willing you know, to, to give up anything for the gospel so that people would know Christ's love. And after leaving Philippi, then uh, I'm going fast here, but he moves from Philippi uh, to a town called Thessalonica. And in Thessalonica, things uh, go from bad to worse in terms of persecution. And uh, he faces more and more and gets accused of treason and So they usher him out of town, and he goes to a little town named Berea. And from Berea, as uh, the people there, the Thessalonians came chasing them to Berea. And so the brothers in Berea sent Paul alone. They said, Paul, you got to get out of town. They're going to kill you. And so they uh, likely put him on a ship, and he set sail and makes it all the way down to Athens. And that's where we're at in the text today. So if you got a Bible, uh, you can turn with me to Acts chapter 17. And we're going to start in verse 16 in Acts chapter 17 um, when Paul gets to Athens. But one of the things I want you to see here is Paul goes to Athens, which was kind of the cultural center of the world in that day. I mean, all the philosophers were in Athens. Uh, People of substance, they were in Athens. It shaped culture. In fact, the things that happened in Athens in Paul's day and in the days leading up to it have shaped our culture in a lot of ways today. Athens is an incredibly important city in this day. And when Paul gets there, what he's going to do, he's going to go right into the middle of culture and he's going to make some friends and he's going to share the gospel. Now, do you remember our vision 
for the next seven years. For the year 2030, our vision as a church family is that uh, we're going to engage in 10,000 gospel conversations. 10,000, not necessarily 10,000 people, but 10,000 conversations. And some of you, you've been having those conversations, and uh, as I have, and it's been maybe just front of mind more and more to, to and those conversations can take all kinds of different different forms, right? It might be just simply speaking about spiritual things with somebody. It might be revealing your story of how you came to faith. It might be sharing God's story and inviting someone to put their faith in Christ. But every little short 10 second conversation to every two hour conversation, all of those add up and count and God uses those to help people know his love and to know the truth. And you and I have been sent to love people and to invite them to follow Jesus with us. And so we wanna see 10,000 gospel conversations happen. And you're like, how are we gonna count those? Well, I got good news, or we got some ideas. Uh, one of those, if you look at your handout today at the very bottom, uh, you can text the word conversation to that number and the, the reason we're counting, by the way, isn't like to keep score or think like, hey, how cool are we? But because sometimes unless you have a goal out there and you're not intentional about it, it doesn't happen. Do you ever have that in your own life? Like, I've been wanting to lose 30 pounds for about 10 years. <laughs> but I don't know that I really like getting on the scale where I'd actually have to count that and see if I am, right? Well, it's kind of the same deal. Like, uh, you're not more spiritual if, if you count or anything like that, but it's just to have a goal in front of us to, to kind of keep us moving that direction. And so uh, you can text conversation to that number and it'll send you a couple texts back just really quickly, answer a couple questions. And each time you have a conversation, if it's 10 seconds, if it's two hours, tell us about it. And then you can tell us a story too. Maybe there's a good story everybody would be encouraged by. And uh, also down the road, um, we're working on an app that we're hopefully gonna to have too to make this even easier for you. Uh, but that's still a ways away, so we wanna keep going. So if you've already had some conversations, let us know about them. And we wanna see how we're doing. Sound good? Well, today that's exactly what we're gonna talk about. We're gonna look at Paul's conversation and we're gonna get some tips for how to have some of our own conversations. And one of the things I would say is to have a good gospel conversation to share the gospel with somebody, to share Jesus' story, to, share, to make Jesus the hero, and talk about spiritual things is start with friendship. Start with friendship with people. You know, sometimes, maybe some of you too, you, you maybe grew up in a background where I uh, talked about uh, you were just pressured so much to always share your faith, share your faith, share your faith, which is important. But if we're not careful, we lose sight of people. We want to be about people. We're sent to love people, right? So start with friendship. Let's look at Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 16. Now, uh, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him. You remember why he's waiting there? Because he got drove out of town from Berea. He's running from people who are trying to take his life. And he gets to Athens. And how about you? If somebody was chasing you down, coming after you, they threatened your life because you kept talking about Jesus and we sent you to Kokomo. I don't know, I'm just picking that. <laughs> but we sent you there. What's the, what would you do? You'd be like, I would find a place 
and I would make no scene and I would just kind of hunker away and be all by myself for a while till things blow over, right? That's totally not what Paul does. Paul gets to Athens and he goes out into the city. Like, hey, if I'm gonna be here, I might as well talk to people. <laughs> it's pretty incredible what he does. And he goes out into the middle of the city, in the middle of culture. And as he's going about, his spirit gets provoked within him because he saw the city was full of idols. Now that word provoked can mean a little bit of anger, but also a lot of sadness. Anger that people are deceived sadness that they're deceived and that they're lost and they're putting their hope in all of these things that aren't Christ. You know, um, what's interesting though is that Paul, eventually what we're gonna see is he takes that angst that's in him and he doesn't just sit with it, but he puts it into action and he starts going and talking to people. And you know, Paul's heart here was... um, a lot like Jesus' heart. Uh, Jesus' heart, let's look at this. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages as he was going about doing ministry, just like Paul, teaching in the synagogues. But Paul evidently got a lot of his strategy from watching Jesus, didn't he? Announcing the good news about the kingdom. And Jesus, he healed every kind of disease and illness. And look at this, though. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like a sheep without a shepherd. That was his heart toward them. I wonder, uh, does the lostness of people move us to action? Does the junk in our culture, does it move us to action? And then if so, What kind of action? Because that really matters. Is that action um, just shunning culture and shunning people and ignoring them completely? Speaking ill of them? Or do we speak opportunities to share the truth with them? Do we love them? Because even when we were enemies, Christ loved us when we were his enemies. So do we love them? when they're still at odds with God, hoping to find common ground to share the story. That's what Paul does. That's what Jesus does, even. See, when Jesus sees the crowds, he had compassion because what he saw uh, were sheep who had no shepherd. And they were vulnerable. Well, how did his heart get that way? I mean, Sometimes my stomach churns for people who are lost. And if I'm honest, there's other days where, where it doesn't. Is, are you that way sometimes? So how do we maintain that soft heart? How can it be like Jesus? Well, look what Jesus says after he sees the people. He turned to his disciples and he said, friends, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, what's he say to do? Pray. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So I said start with friendship, but actually start with prayer. Start with prayer. Pray for people. Pray for God. There's a few things we can be praying for. You know, first, like Jesus said, pray for more workers to go out into the field, for more people to be sent. 
Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm praying for you because you're sent. All right, you just said it. Now you got to do it. You got to pray for them. Because guess who the workers are to be sent out? It's you and I. Pray for God to send out laborers into the field. We're sent. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And the Son wasn't sent, John 3, 16 and 17, to condemn the world, but he was sent in love that they might be saved. So we're sent in the same way, to love people. Second thing to be praying for is pray for those who are lost. Like, like Jesus saw the people who were lost and didn't know the truth and were hurting, and maybe some of your own friends, your own family. Moms, some of you who are stay-at-home moms, guess who uh, most of your gospel conversations might be with? Your kids. And that's okay, those count. They absolutely count. Pray for those who are lost, who are eyes are blind to the truth, that the Spirit would open them. Pray for your loved ones and friends. Pray for your leaders. Pray for your enemies. Jesus said, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If you want your heart to get soft towards those who are far from God, start praying for them. That will soften your heart. Jesus prayed for them. He prayed for us. In fact, Paul says uh, we're to pray for all people. Look at 1 Timothy 2. First of all, then, he says, I urge that supplication, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings, he's like, pray a lot, a lot of different ways, be made for all people. Yeah, but there's some people, Josh, I don't want to pray for. Yeah, but the text says pray for all people. <laughs> all of them. For kings, for those who are in high positions, that we might lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. And then look at this, this is pleasing it's good and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. And he wants us to pray for those who are lost because he desires that all people would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's his heart. If you want to get good at gospel conversations, start praying. It'll start to change your heart. And for all people, because like our, one of our values, all people matter, right? No matter who they are, what they've done, what's been done to them, the color of the skin, their intellect, fill in the blank. They matter to God, so they matter to us. Paul said in Romans, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for them that they might be saved. That they would know they're loved like we know that we're loved. It's another way to say it. I said there were two things to pray for, but let me add a third Third thing to pray for would be, uh, well, first was for workers. Second was for those who are lost. Third is for yourself. Pray for yourself and for each other. The person you told that you were going to pray for, pray for them. Pray for them this week. Pray for open doors, for opportunities. Pray for help while you're sharing and while you're talking to somebody. And ask others to pray for you. You know, here's the thing. Prayer changes circumstances, and mostly it changes us. And so as we lean into God in this and recognize we're just sent by him, pray for one another. Paul asked for prayer. If he asked for prayer, I think we should. He said at the same time, pray for us that God would open a door for the, a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison. 
He's like, I'm in prison, pray for me. Not to get out, but to keep, keep going. <laughs> that I might speak, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Do you ever get into a conversation and you just find yourself like, oh boy, I have no idea what to say. It's okay. Uh, pray. Ask God to make it clear that you'd speak the way you ought to. And Jesus even said, you know, when you're in the moment, don't worry about it till you get there. When you're in the moment, pray. The Holy Spirit will help you. And if you stumble over your words, you're okay. It's all good. God's bigger than your stumbling. He can recharge. So we're going to see some of that here this morning. Let me keep going. He also says, though, again, uh, in Ephesians, pray, make supplication for all the saints. Also for me, he says, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly. If you're wondering what to say sometimes, you're in good company because evidently Paul wondered. He said, pray that he'd give me words to speak. It's normal. The, the biggest problem is just having courage to go for it, isn't it? But it starts with friendship. And that's kind of our strategy for evangelism is a, a pearl, right? Pray for them. It starts with prayer. Eat with them. Spend some time like Jesus did. Do you know Jesus, in being a friend of sinners, do you know what it was said of him that he was always doing? That the Son of Man came eating and drinking. He was a friend of sinners. How great would it be if that was said of us, that we're friends of sinners? Eating with them, asking them questions, befriending them. And then when you get the opportunity, when they ask you questions, reveal your story and then love them tangibly. And, uh, you know, this strategy is kind of based on some of Jesus' words in a parable. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold everything that he had and bought it to get that pearl because it was of so much value. You know, um, start with prayer, but the goal is friendship. Start with relationship. You know, uh, sometimes uh, evangelism is referred to as quote-unquote soul winning. You ever heard that? I kind of hate that term. Um, because it turns it into a contest. And then it turns people into objects that we're just trying to win. And they become a prize, but they're not the prize, we're helping them find the prize, which is the pearl. <laughs> We're helping them win and know Jesus, right? So maybe just even thinking of it that way is helpful. They're the true winner. The true winner in this parable is the guy who found the pearl. The true winner in evangelism, evangelism is just helping people find Jesus. So uh, if you're new, by the way, I'm speaking to those of us who know Christ and you need to know as you go about sharing your faith, keep this in mind, win people in terms of winning friendship, not arguments. Don't try to win an argument. Because then you're just turning it into kind of soul winning where you're making it a prize to win. Win the person in the sense of win their friendship. Genuinely be their friend. Here's the, the verse I told you earlier. The son of man, Luke 7, 34, has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. I mean, if we're gonna be sent like Jesus, we gotta be friends with sinners, don't we? Just like we are. 
The only difference is we know the way in which we're loved and redeemed by Christ. Well, let's, keep, let's get back to Acts and look at Paul's example here. Uh, Paul, while he was waiting for them at Athens, he had been chased there, right? He's, or he kind of r- ran away there to some degree. He's waiting at Athens for the others to join him. His spirit was provoked as he saw the city was full of idols. So uh, look what he does. He goes and reasons in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons. But not only there, also in the marketplace. Every day. Well, who did he talk to? Whoever happened to be there. Verse 18, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. Uh, These two are kind of the two most popular philosophies of the day, the, the Stoics and the Epicureans. Epicureans were followers of Epicurus, um, and they believed that the chief, chief purpose for living was pleasure and happiness, and that if God existed, he didn't really intervene in human affairs. Kind of like a modern-day hedonist or materialist. The Stoics were followers of uh, Zeno, taught on a porch or a patio that was known as a stoa, so that's why they're called Stoics. But the Stoics... Um, they were pantheistic, so a lot of gods, and they felt that the great purpose, you know, was directing of gods, was directing history. And so the responsibility of us as humans was to align ourselves with the right gods. They're kind of like uh, maybe uh, modern-day New Age people or pantheists. And basically, we could go on and on about this. I'm not going to, but the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were basically like Americans. <laughs> Looking for pleasure and everything, trying to find purpose in every other God but God. And Paul goes to them and he reasons with them. And some of them said, what does this babbler wish to say? What's he, what's he talking about? They called him a babbler, literally one who picks up seeds because he's like a chicken pecking at seeds and just pecking at whatever he can get to stick. Others said, no, he seems to be a preacher of foreign, foreign divinities, foreign gods, because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. He was telling them about Jesus. He was having gospel conversations with people every day. And they took him and they brought him then, the philosophers did, to the Areopagus. And they said, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? The Areopagus, uh, your translation might even say Mars Hill. That was another name for it. And it was a hill. You can see it in the picture here, right, right down here. Oop, there it goes. Uh, oh, this is a video plane, that's why. Uh, below... Uh, the Areopagus, and that's the Acropolis, which is the, where all the pantheon of Greek gods are. And uh, that's looking down at Mars Hill in Athens today. And they would gather at the Areopagus, and that's where they would share all their different ideas and philosophy and things like that would happen just outside of the place of their worship. And so Paul goes there, and he's interacting with them, and they're like, hey, tell us about this thing. We, what is this new teaching you're presenting? In verse 20, they said, for, for you bring some strange things to our ears, and we want to know what these things mean. Um, here's another look at it. Uh, by the way, oh, that's my brother, Adam, and his wife. They were in Athens uh, this spring, or this spring, this fall, a couple weeks ago, and uh, took some pictures of all this for me. And uh, there's looking up at the Acropolis and uh, 
in, in talking to my brother, one of the things he said, yeah, he said, they even, he said that story about Paul and Acts, because I told him, I said, hey, I'm going to be preaching on this in a couple of weeks. And he texted back, and he said, oh, that story in Acts, because I don't think he really knew it, maybe. But he said, that's a cool story, after he heard it. He said, here's a picture of it. He said, I can't read it, but that's supposed to be it. <laughs> in Acts 17, and it's what Paul is about to say. But it's right uh, there by the hill, by the Oropagus. So let's keep reading. So they took him, and they brought him there, and they said, you know, we want to hear all these things, for you bring some strange things to our ears, and we want to know what these things mean. You know, sometimes as you start to interact with people, they're going to start asking you questions. And so it's an opportunity to reveal God's story and your story. Now, all the Athenians, uh, Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing but telling or hearing something new. In telling or hearing something new. And so... Uh, Paul, what we're going to see here is the next step in a good gospel conversation. I think at different times when he's dialoguing, he's asking good questions of them. And he's making observations of things going on in their life. If you're like, I don't know what questions to ask, we give you a whole list of questions maybe that would help you in your handout today. Ask good questions. But as you do, remember the points to win people, not arguments. So ask to learn. Not to teach or to preach. You know, sometimes people ask questions because they want to go, well, actually, here's what you should think. <laughs> no, just ask to get to know somebody. Hey, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Where do you go to work? And as that conversation gets farther, you know, what? do you ever struggle with this? I struggle with this. Um, have you ever, you ever thought about, I mean, all these wars and everything happening. Have you ever thought about what happens after you die? What do you think happens? Just ask. You don't have to give your answer. Just ask. Because after a while, they'll be like, well, are you going to say anything? What, what do you think happens? And then you have the opportunity. So start by asking good questions. I think that's what Paul did. He's standing there and... Uh, he said, when he gets up to speak formally, he says, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you're very religious. And I've been talking to some of you, I've been walking around looking, and it's really clear that you, you guys are really religious people. Um, and uh, he, he tells them all this, and um, then he goes on, and as he keeps talking, he recognizes something that's going on, and you should recognize it too in your conversations. That their story of coming to faith or understanding who God is doesn't begin with you and me. God's already been working. God's been chasing them long before you or I have been. And so we just get to kind of step in where God's already been working. That's what Paul does. Look at what he does. He says, for as I passed along, I observed the objects of your worship. I found an altar with this inscription. It said, to the unknown God. Clearly, like, 
You guys are religious. He compliments them. This is really good. You even have an altar to an unknown God. You realize there's something more than maybe some of the ideas you already have. In fact, here's a picture. It's in a museum now, but a picture of that altar from that spot. And as I passed along, I observed the objects of your worship, and I found this, and then look what he says. He says, so therefore what you worship is unknown. You wanted to know what it was I was talking about? You asked me some questions like, tell us about these ideas you're preaching about. Tell us what you think. Well, what I've been talking about is the person you've been searching for. That unknown God. And friends, as you go about sharing your faith, having gospel conversations, befriending people, praying for them, spending time with them, asking questions, when they begin to ask you questions, you, like Paul, get to reveal God's story. And I would just say this, as you do, one last piece of how to have a great gospel conversation, keep it simple. Just keep it simple. Do you know, I know, um, I know no one who's been argued into the kingdom of heaven. You don't need to win an argument, win the person. Just keep it simple. And in a couple ways, share, be able to share God's story. Be able to share it. Now you might, if you, if you keep learning, you should keep learning and knowing more and more about who God is, right, as a follower of Christ, but you don't have to know it all. But you could, you could share God's story of, you know, God created everything and then we sinned and we messed it up so we die. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but would have life everlasting. And if you believe in Jesus, you can be saved too. You just gotta share God's story and how he loved us so much that he came to fix everything that's messed up. Now, as you grow, you're going to be able to share that in more compelling ways, right? But just get some courage and start. Just go for it. So Paul, he gets some courage. And standing in the midst of the Europagus, he said, well, again, I'm repeating myself. He said, I perceive in every way you're religious. I saw all these things, so this is what I proclaim to you. And then he begins sharing God's story. Look at verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in temples made by men. Remember he's saying this in the Oropagus and what was on top of the hill? All of the temples for the Greek gods made by men. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind. He's just, he's just telling God's story. To live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place so that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and even find him. And that might seem like a big task. Like, well, how are people going to find God? Well, Paul goes on. He's like, he's, he's really not actually that far from each one of us. And he quotes scripture for in him, we live and move and have our being. And look, then he appeals to their story. He says, uh, even as some of your own poets have said, for we indeed are his offspring. He's become friends with them. He's learned some things about the people he's 
loving, hasn't he? Being then God's offspring, he goes, we should, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone. I wonder if as he says this, he points up to the ornate temples up behind him. The Pantheon and the Temple of Nike and He's not an image formed by the art and imagination of man. No, the the times of ignorance got overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent, which just means to turn to him. Repent means to change your mind, turn around. Because he's fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he's appointed And of this, he's given assurance to all by raising that man from the dead. Who's he talking about? Jesus. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. And some of you, when you start to have these conversations, just be ready. Sometimes when you start to share your faith, some are going to mock. You're crazy. You know, um, well, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. But others said, but there's always others who said, hey, I kind of want to hear more about this. Let's talk again. That's why it's not 10,000 people. We're just saying 10,000 conversations. Like just make it a habit of talking about the Lord and of your faith. So then Paul went out from their midst. Some joined him and believed, among whom were Dionysus, the Arapagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. So friends, to have a good gospel conversation like Paul did here, start with friendship, actually start with prayer, ask good questions, and then as you start to reveal God's story, keep it simple. And let me leave you with this. You don't need all the answers. The only answer you need and the most compelling one to anyone you would share your faith with. Why do you believe? Can you explain your story? Can you give a reason why you really think this is true? The cool thing about living in a culture where whatever's right in your own eyes is right in your own eyes, our culture would say, right? Guess who can't argue with your story? Anyone. Because it's what you believe. So be willing to share. Just, just know that answer. Why do you believe? Why do you? Hey, with that, uh, let me pray. And uh, we're going to sing and uh, call it a morning.